The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 21 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the trio's tag team champions of the world, the masked library Kevin Hellions, sweet Maddie Treats, and the educator of excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trios, tag team partners. To my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing today? Oh, baby, it's the dog days of summer as we're midway through August, and school is getting ready to start right around the corner. So I'm trying to take advantage of what few summer days I have left to get in as much retro gaming as possible and retro wrestling. And so uh, this particular show we're going to be looking at today, No Way Out in Texas. I know we talked about a little bit over our little texting feed. Um, I actually didn't mind this show and I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to discussions with uh, what your guys thoughts with the last minute substitution uh, for an injury and, and how all that match played out. Yeah. So I got a question for you, uh, the educator, uh, this summer obviously is a lot different with COVID and stuff like that. And I know in the summer, usually you spend your time, you do a little retro hunting, um, with really no kind of garage sales, rummage sales, really. Um, how was the retro hunting anything really trying to do as much Facebook marketplace as possible? And then taking advantage of whatever uh, on my shifts at the game store, what might happen to come into the shop that, um, you know, customers want to sell to the game store. And then then having essentially first dibs on it um, for before it's actually put on the shelves for sale. Uh, had a couple of good scores here or there. There were a couple of community sales that kind of went under the radar that, you know, still practicing social distancing guidelines with masks and keeping six feet away and just just being careful and basically going nuts with the hand sanitizer if you touch anything at any, at any sale. Um, had a couple of good scores, but it's been a much slower, slower summer than previous summers past. It's, uh, it's funny that you bring up the Facebook marketplace because I got a great deal this week on a Hollywood Hawk Hogan brawling oh, buddy. I love it. Look at him. He's just chilling with me right here. I love it. $15 Facebook marketplace. What a, no stains, no tears. He's looking good. He's looking um, solid. I also ended up buying a bunch of wrestling DVDs. Now, you, I know what you're thinking. Why would you buy wrestling DVDs? Um, it was for the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. I got a lot of like eight DVDs for $6, and that Great. was one of them. So. I, I mean, I'd pay 6 for that one. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think of the Rise and Fall VCW DVDs in there, um, a couple Rock DVDs, a couple Cena DVDs. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a good haul. Good haul. Can't go wrong with that price then. Cannot go wrong with that price. And you heard his voice. Uh, thank God he is not singing this week. Well, 
I shouldn't have spoke too soon because I know what you tried to um, to tell me. Why don't you tell the audience, Mr. Mass Library, uh, what you wanted me to edit into this episode this week? Well, we have a luchador in action later on on the show by the name of Pantera. So I figured, much like our Bad Blood Taylor Swift episode, you could insert music from the heavy metal band Pantera throughout this show. What musical drop would you like me to use? I mean, the only time I would ever use Pandera, Pantera is when Rob Van Dam guest stars. Well, and, and that's what I was going to go for, because I feel like you're mocking me, and I feel like you need to show a little more respect. Walk. You, sir, can see yourself to the door. Good day, sir. What did you say? I said good day, sir. Ree. Are you talking to me? Spect. No way. Walk. Crickets. What do you say? So, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, so guys, we're, we're talking uh, No Way Out in Your House. Is that the name of the pay-per-view? Is the name of the pay-per-view No Way Out? Is it in your house, no way out? Is it in your house, no way out of Texas? Is it no way out of Texas in your house? I am so confused. The, the branding of the pay-per-view um, throughout commentary as well as whatever uh, screen uh, screen shots that were shown didn't really have any in-your-house connotation to it. If you looked at the ring aprons during the show, there were no in-your-house logos anywhere. And, of course, the entrance set for the wrestlers to come to the ring, no trace of the old school in your house. So I think we're in this weird transitional phase here. We're rebranding these three-hour pay-per-views as essentially um, standalone shows, but... Um, they, I guess, technically still fall under the in your house umbrella for the next almost year, year and a half, or uh, actually about one calendar year from this pay-per-view, yeah. correct? Uh, it, it, crazy to think it's almost all set. And it, it looks like, cause you know, we'll do a little research beforehand. It looks like no way out of Texas. And then the next no way out may have been like no way out of New York, no way out of Florida, no way out of California. Something like that. I don't know if it's like Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. mentality. Like these are the sequels to it. Um, there was also on, on one of the podcasts I was listening to about it. Oh, we had no idea that No Way Out was also N.W.O. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Horse poop you didn't. That was on purpose. Right. That was the original, per- yeah, the intended spoof. It's an odd. It's an odd show. I like to call this the Mad Libs pay-per-view because... <laughs> And I have a reason why. And as we go through the pay-per-view, I will point out every single reason why. Um, But like you said, like you said, educator, very odd branding. Um, The aprons do have the in your house logo on it. Just so you Oh, they did. I didn't really see them too, too. It's right in the middle. They're right in. I I had to double check to look because I have that on there. But um, the aprons and the turnbuckles have the old block logo on it. The old WWF logo. But the mics, the mics have the scratch logo the scratch on it. Logo. So it is the this is the oddest show when you're talking the transition into the Attitude Era. This show is just so it's just a weird, it's different vibes to it. Um, we're not saying it's a bad show. It's very watchable. Surprisingly, I, um, I enjoyed it a lot. I did. I know. Um, you know, like the educator just said, you enjoyed it a, a lot. The crowd, um, crowd was super into it, too. 
Yeah. Well, they're super into Austin, <laughs> and we will we will get to that. Um, but the promo video starts us. And one thing I noticed about the promo video is what a friggin' roster they have at this point. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's so much going on in terms of diversity. We're, we're, we're in this transitional stage of uh, the gang warfare. It's slowly starting to phase out. And uh, certain members are starting to become, uh, are at least be- making their presence known in the whole gang warfare as, as singletons uh, or as tags that are going to slowly begin to emerge from these bigger groups, these bigger teams. And uh, yeah, without a doubt, lots of diversity. Some some not so good, a lot really, really good as we're starting to, as WWF is beginning to uh, surge ahead and begin to slowly take over in the ratings war in a few few months or so. So lo- lots of things to talk about tonight. And you're right, it's crazy the, the star power that everyone's there, but they, they have no idea that their answers are here already. It's like, it's like someone at home saying, geez, I really want cake, but I can't go out. And it's like, you have everything here to make cake. Like, we could make cake right here. Everything is already here in this house. Gee, I really want to be number one in the Monday Night Wars. Okay, everything's already here. You just need to get it in the right order. You already have all the ingredients you need to become number one again. Yeah, just say, uh, it's, 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 it's like they're still trying to figure things out. So, uh, so let's get right into it, guys. Let's go. Uh, we are in houston texas the date february 15th 1998 we are at the compact center a huge huge crowd over sixteen thousand people and would you say that's the austin effect especially in texas sixteen thousand we're in the compact center at the point this point it was a recently rebranded building uh prior to this it was referred to as the summit and even mentioned in commentary, the last time the WWF had ran that building was Royal Rumble 1989. That was infamous for the super pose down between Ravishing Rick Rude and Ultimate Warrior, as well as um, Hulk Hogan, I'm sorry, not Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan being in the Royal Rumble match, but being thrown out. Uh, Big John Studd uh, winning that particular Royal Rumble. Over Ted DiBiase, who had bought the number thirty uh, position. So, so big crowd because of Austin. <laughs> That's <was> my question. <laughs> no, just essentially just letting the viewers know the previous time that the WWE had been there, and I, I guess yeah, absolutely, with Austin being Texas, Texas born, Texas bred, and now we're. We're trying to capitalize on his slow rise to uh, WWF fandom. Yeah, we're a, we're a month away from the Austin era. So uh, in the WWF. Um, so the first match of the night. Um, okay, guys, let's mad libs this. Pick two wrestler, two mid card wrestlers to put into a tag team that have female valets. If you guessed Mark Miro and the artist formerly known as Goldust, you are correct. So we have Mark Miro with Sable. Uh, and uh, teaming with the artist formerly known as Goldust, and he is with Luna to take on the Headbangers. Um, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to have another Mad Libs here, and uh, think of something brutal, um, a certain color, say. Brutal color. A brutal color. Uh, blood red? 
Blood Red would, yes, let's throw that in here because we get a blade job in the first match and to the headbangers. This is a Mad Libs pay-per-view, guys. I'm telling you. Definitely having my notes here about the quote-unquote injury that was suffered. Um, interesting match, but of course, the whole point of the tag was to just further the and advance the storyline of the two competing valets um, and who are, you know, playing pivotal roles in, in their... Uh, their management capacities, but also one kind of uh, grabbing the fans' eyes and becoming more and more popular than uh, who herself is actually managing. Uh, I've said this on previous shows. I love Marvelous Mark Barrows. This music, rough, rough rock music, his entrance music, the boxer gimmick. I think there was a lot more that they could have done with this. He, he was really settling in to this particular character as the wild man, or, you know, wasn't as successful prior to the, the knee injury. We discussed at the uh, Degeneration X pay-per-view the awkward presentation of the gold dust and him coming out and reading the poetry and whatnot. I really dug this Marilyn Manson version of uh, the Dustin Runnels character. I thought that the, uh, the, uh, the dress that Goldust was wearing, to me, he just looked, he looked comfortable in this gear. I know basically he had a black singlet on uh, with then just a weird garb uh, on top. To me, he was just moving. I mean, big guy, thick guy, impressive dude, not by any means fat or anything like that, but just really thick. But he looked very mobile in this ring gear, as opposed to that latexy spandexy full body suit. He used to wear prior when he was under the full blown gold dust garb. Um, funny at the start of the match, Mero getting on the mic saying that there was only enough room for one beautiful woman to be at ringside. And he turns and looks at Sable and ejects her from ringside. Uh, massive, massive heel heat from the crowd, the booze, uh, with Mero getting, uh, throwing out Sable, the eye candy from ringside. Uh, the match itself starts off, uh, with Mark Mero working with Mosh, throwing jabs in the corner, working the boxer gimmick. Uh, Mosh ends up tagging uh, in Thrasher, and they do a double-team move where Mosh throws Marrow into the ropes, but Thrasher climbs up to the second rope as Mosh drops down to cause Marrow to kind of do a step-over leapfrog. Thrasher comes off the corner turnbuckle and does a clothesline. It was one of their more no notable spots that the Headbangers were known with. Um, eventually, we end up getting the uh, tag in, Goldust tags in, Headbangers continue to work Goldust, and eventually they do another known maneuver. They're uh, kind of like a superplex off the top where Thrasher sits on the top turnbuckle and then does a face-forward suplex on Mosh to kind of get him to fall like in a splash position over Goldust. Um, so that was uh, one of their key spots. Mero does a... a, a a blind tag in and they do a double team maneuver, both Goldust and Marrow, uh, double team knee lift on Thrasher. And then Goldust just continues to work back and forth and Marrow back and forth working on Thrasher. Uh, at one point, Goldust pulls down the top rope that caused Thrasher to tumble over the top rope onto the floor. And then we see Luna with her like huge, thick stiletto boots or whatever begin to just go ham and crazy and kicking uh, Thrasher. Uh, Goldust, after he follows down on the floor, Goldust uh, picks up Thrasher and essentially drops him 
kind of like body first, head more like head first on the stairs. And then eventually Thrasher gets thrown back in the ring. And then we see Thrasher from this head injury on the corner steps. He's just starting to bleed substantially. Uh, certainly not buckets like Austin WrestleMania 13, but a significant amount of blood. Today's standards, referees would be immediately putting their gloves on. Might even to the point where the match is temporarily stopped to try to get that bleeding uh, to stop. Uh, Goldust and Mero continue to tag in and out, continue to work on a bleeding thrasher. Uh, at one point, Mero unwraps some tape from his wrist and during a ref distraction uses that to choke out thrasher. Uh, Mero does a sit-out powerbomb on thrasher to only get a two-count. As Mero begins to pick up thrasher for a TKO, thrasher is able to kind of wiggle his way out of it and reverse it into more of a DDT maneuver. Slowly, Thrasher works his way over and tags in Mosh for the hot tag. Um, and then after Thrasher being worked on for five, six, seven minutes in this match, bleeding within 15, 20 seconds of the hot tag, he's suddenly healthy enough to be back in to start working double team maneuvers. They do a much more safer looking flapjack maneuver on Goldust, uh, much different than when we saw them do it on the... On Phineas Godwin, a few pay-per-view shows back. Uh, eventually, the headbangers attempt to do their double-team maneuver of the powerbomb uh, and stage dive leg drop off the top rope. But Luna ends up interfering and uh, knocking the headbanger off the rope. Mero picks up t uh, Mosh to do a TKO, hits the TKO finisher. But in the process of picking him them up, you see the crowd beginning to erupt, not because they were fired up for the TKO, but because Sable is now working her way back down to ringside. She's got an angry look on her face. She has gotten rid of her robe that she was wearing and is in her typical Sable-esque black latexy-like outfit. Um, Sable comes down, and eventually she get, tries to get into it with Luna, and now both of the guys on the match are just trying to restrain the ladies, preventing them from attacking one another. Um, eventually, the uh, TKO that was put on Mosh, Mosh was laid out in the ring. Thrasher kind of does a, a quick double switch bait and rolls Mosh out. And he's now laying in the ring selling that he got hit from the TKO. As Mero finally uh, gets his way back in the ring after separating the ladies, Merrill gets rolled up by Thrasher for a quick one, two, three. And we have the headbangers that are victorious over the makeshift team of Mark Merrill and the artist formerly known as Goldust. Post-match, we see a bunch of referees, a bunch of agents come down to continue to try to separate the ladies from attacking one another. Eventually, Goldust picks up Luna and physically carries her away from ringside. The agents and the refs leave. But then we see an physical altercation between Marrow and Sable where Sable and Marrow are yelling back and forth at each other. And at one point Sable gets frustrated and she pushes Marrow down to the mat and to an, a huge crowd pop. And uh, eventually Marrow walks out of the ring disgruntled and angry because he was just made to look, to look foolish in front of the whole crowd. And uh, the old wild man music plays, which is now apparently Sable's theme music uh, plays. And, uh, that's the end of that segment. It's, it's so weird. So I wasn't sure, thinking back on it, when it happened. I thought maybe it was from Thrasher, but it, in the order of my notes, it's not. 
So I don't know if either of you noticed, but with Goldust's look and the the Marilyn Manson, you know, inspired look and all, he had red, I'll say, paint or something all over him. And I swear they're trying to imply he's a cutter as well, which would mm. which would kind of fit with at the time. And this isn't to make light of it at all, but you know, for the Marilyn Manson audience and at the time and all, like it would kind of make sense. So I could see it, and I could see WWE thinking, "Let's do it to be edgy." We had like these red marks all over him, and it was before Thrasher started bleeding too. So I was just wondering about it. Um, how much has Goldust changed? Because he debuted on an In Your House that we reviewed earlier in the series, right? What a constantly evolving character, and really. I mean, like, yes, Marvelous Mark Marrow is different than the Wild Man Mark Marrow is different than Johnny B. Bad. But a lot of those were not his decision. It's like, okay, we got to do something here. Gold is ju- Dustin just seems like I need to constantly evolve this character. Without well, a doubt. Yeah, come up with stuff. It was amazing. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mark Marrow worked most of the match between the two of them. So I, I was wondering, like, we're talking about how Goldust looks bigger here anyways, if maybe he wasn't 100% healthy at the time, if he was having any issues, if there's addiction or anything. You could tell he had... Tag to cover. You could tell Dustin had his, that leg from, that we discussed way back from the uh, Good Friends Better Enemies pay-per-view that he had injured his, I believe it was his left knee that was originally, you could tell it was heavier wrapped. But when he was tagged in and he was working, he to me, he looked comfortable in the gear and he was really moving and bumping and making and making the most of his time in the ring. Right. He didn't look bad in the match at all, but he he definitely wasn't in the majority of it or even uh, 50-50, even a 60-40, you know. So I was just curious about it. Um, the thing of Luna versus Sable here and Mark Mara saying, you know, there's only room for one pretty woman out here. It's crazy to, because every so often you'll see a picture of Luna, like not in character. And she wasn't a bad looking woman, but she was always in that character. And then it's even crazier when you trace that character back to Kevin Sullivan created it. Without a doubt. She continued to be Luna in her work with all of these other companies. Like that's almost like the biggest legacy of the characters he created, you know, the evil cult, you know, devil worshiping gimmick and all. Right. Um, when did Sable become the star, though? Like, there's a... Because even the reaction from Mark Merrill versus Butterbean, this is ten times that. Like, she she's arguably just behind Austin popularity on the show. Like, crowd, crowd's going nuts for her. I, I don't know when the tipping point was to make her that star, but it's there. I think they're really, if you remember back to the DX pay-per-view, remember Sable's outfit, she was wearing the uh, the black boxer robe, very similar to Mar- Mar- Marrow's robe to the ring. And she had like on those short, like white shorts. And so she did not at any point like show her upper body. So it makes me think that she had some surgical enhancements probably late, November, early December, prior to the DX pay-per-view. And then come this uh, particular show, it's the February pay-per-view a few months later, you know, she comes to the ring covered up, but then when she comes back, she's got her, uh, you know, latexy outfit and uh, enhancements are certainly much more obvious. 
So the increase in the whole sexualization, we're getting to the attitude era, you know, we're getting more and more, you know, to that, that, you know, edgier, you know, presentation of the product. And uh, yeah, they were, she was certainly willing to flaunt whatever she could. It's so weird how they made Sable such a giant star and couldn't figure out what to do with Sunny. It's like once they finally figured out to do what to do with Sunny, it was too late. So let's just take all of those ideas and put it on Sable instead. I honestly think Sunny's demons were already catching up to her. Um, we mm, when probably. we see her, when we see her in the next segment, she looked amazing, and it's just crazy to see. Unfortunately, how much how quick she fell from ninety eight to oh two oh three. Just how crazy things went and that you know you're right it's too bad that they couldn't do more with 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 sunny and and then here it is you know mr library i got a question for you because this is the second podcast in a row would you have brought up luna would she win miss uh mrs calgary if she entered the contest (laughs) i would vote for her before diana I wouldn't even have to take time to debate. Even if she failed the talent contest, the talent portion of the competition. What what would what would her talent be? What was what's the talent portion of the Mrs. Calgary contest? Um, I think uh, Diana would probably um, knit something, and Luna would spit fire. Can I go off on a tangent here? Maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the fact that I feel it is a crime, an absolute crime, that Luna Vachon is not in the WWE Hall of Fame. But the, Isn't she as a legacy? Is she as a legacy or as yeah, a inductee? Nope, the, the black and white like legacy group. Um, mm-hmm. Same year, Bruiser Brody. See, I don't see that as the same kind of like, Honorship being it, given and so on. Do you do you it, think the, the legacy is it only for re, you know deceased wrestlers now at this point? So like let's seems, let's say you know in in, a, in an amazing world things between the heart Martha Hart and the WWE ever get better and they finally do induct Owen. Would Owen go in as a legacy or do you think he would get a full? I mean because Bulldog. Bulldog was supposed to go in this past year, and he's, of course, since passed away, and that was not going to be a legacy induction. There seems to be only one deceased inductee for the main inductees. Each year, it seems like they only have one, and I'm sure there's an exception to this, but each year, it seems like there's only one deceased wrestler we're inducting on the main part. And those legacy ones are usually people who have already passed. If you came out and said, oh, here's our main Hall of Fame roster, and all these men and women are dead, you're going to draw more attention, which they're finally getting away from. You know, hey, how come you got so many guys dropping dead in their 30s and 40s? Right. Uh, You know, so they're finally don't have that, you know, that magnifying glass on them, like, what's going on here? But if all of a sudden they had a Hall of Fame and they're like, here, here's our like five guys and you know men and women that are still alive. They're gonna come out and accept it. And then here's ten more on the main show that are past. They're gonna draw more attention to it. Plus, the Luna aside, 
a lot of your modern day ones don't go through the history like we do. So they're going to see a name, even a big name like Bruiser Brody, and be like, who's that? That's before my time. I don't know who this guy was. Why should I care? So they're not going to give even the respect to the late names. It's just a tragedy that, you know, you got you got those Bellas that were supposed to go into the Hall of Fame, and there's so many much more deserving women well, who paved the way. Oh. Clearly the Bellas were inspired by the Headbangers winning the match. That's that's Headbanger Twin Magic there. And oh, your okay. Hall of Fame elect Bella Twins were inspired by this <laughs> as they're watching hours and hours of tape of classic matches. There um, has to be a psychologist out there listening to us. If you can dissect Kevin's hate for Diana Smith... And the educators hate for the Bella Twins. Please feel free. You want to know some twin magic? Should have put some masks oh. on those two girls and call them Killer Bees 2.0. That would have been a better presentation. Did you, quick question about the Hall of Fame. Do they just take this class and just induct them next year at this point? I honestly, I think, so. I think it all depends upon if we ever are capable of getting to a live pay-per-view-esque show. I think that, you know, I, I what stories I've heard that they wanted to do it at SummerSlam. So it would just be a late induction. If they can pull it off by, by Survivor Series, if Survivor Series can be a live show somewhere, I, I bet you they try to redo the weekend and still call it the 2020 induction. If at by Survivor Series, if they aren't able to do it, probably I would see them just carrying it over. And then, because when it, who was the big name this year? Was it a Batista? No, I think it was the end. Was it NWO being NWO up? Batista? NWO. Don't you think they would yeah. fit better in Hollywood? Absolutely. No. Yeah, with the both of I mean Hollywood Hogan. Yeah, I mean that is where the mania is. It's in L.A. So, and then also, do you think they induct Ronda Rousey if she's not returning? If she doesn't do wrestling? I mean, she, she's the first woman to headline a mania. Well, just, you know, why don't we just put Kevin Federline in? I mean, why not? He can go into the celebrity. Did he, headline, he headlined WrestleMania? Well, he was a celebrity, and he got a win over John Cena, who's Mr. WrestleMania, practically. At WrestleMania. Edge went in, what, like, the next Hall of Fame after he, had, he retired? Right. Mm-hmm. Becky Lynch isn't necessarily retired. She's just going to go away for a little while. So I don't say they induct because, well, she might come back, you know. Well, I didn't ask about Becky Lynch. I asked about Ronda Rousey. Or, is, is her one calendar year of, I, I, I won't say part-time because she wasn't on like a Brock Lesnar type deal. She did work house shows. She did do Raws every other or so. Um, do you think that one-year career because of her crossover is worthy of a Hall of Fame induction? I say yes, because because of her, they got a billion-dollar deal with Fox. Yeah, uh, and do whatever spin that they can, whatever revisionist spin they can on it. Um, and I'm sure they'll show highlights of her destroying Triple H and, and Stephanie at Mania in the tag match and her winning the belt and her evolution destroying nikki bella actually i wouldn't mind that whatsoever <laughs> um you know 
when when you, when you're talking about main eventing and and you know not being active and all, I thought you were tangenting to Becky Lynch. So I apologize for that. To go, I, I thought you're making this another point. To go back to my the- my theory is because I think Becky Lynch will actually come back. I don't know if Ronda Rousey will come back. I think WWE's hopes that she comes back for Mania in California because that's where she lives and she's from. And but I just don't know if she will. How about have Becky going as the celebrity pick? For the year. I don't think you put her in because I honestly think she's coming back. No, but I'm saying like, okay, let's say at some point she goes in because even if she comes back, she's not doing like a five, 10 year career. She's probably going to do another year. I think you put her in as a celebrity inductee. A crossover inductee. Why do you want Becky to go in next year? I don't get that. I didn't say Becky. I'm saying Rhonda. Ron Howard voice. He said Becky. Oh, oh, Ronda. Oh, Ronda. Okay, oh, I was confused there. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly just think she would just go in. Like, they Probably. could add her in. I mean, because I think what's going to ultimately happen with the Hall of Fame is Undertaker will get a year by himself. It'll just be Undertaker. Because they're running out of people to induct, too. Let's be honest here. So, it's just some food th- for thought when it comes to the Hall of Fame stuff. We went on a tangent. And all that's because of Luna Vachon versus Diane <laughs> <laughs> This is Calgary. Jeez Louise, what the hell is going on here? Mad Libs pay-per-view, guys. Mad Libs pay-per-view. All right. So we uh, after that match, we have Michael Cole interviewing Owen Hart, uh, pretty much asking Owen, you know, how is he going to co- coexist um, with, uh, you know, with Stone Cold there as part of the tag team match. Uh, and then we get our guest ring announcer, Sonny. Um, we also get Brian Christopher on commentary. And uh, we get Taka Mishinoku versus Pantera for the light heavyweight championship. Now, normally, guys, we would throw this to the educator who would break down the match. But because it is Pantera, we are going to give the Mast Library the floor. Mast Library, go right ahead. You got the book, man. Take it away. Oh, oh, I wasn't expecting this. All right. So, as you're saying, Brian Christopher comes out, joins the commentary. Um, my notes are much different from the educator, so I apologize here. Pantera is just, he, I think he controls the match. I think he is um, the star of the match, and Taka pulls out the wind at the very end. Pantera comes out here just with like a fire in him. He's just far beyond driven. Um, off the top, dives onto Taka. Uh, head first and a, a, t- a tope through the corner of the ring like the post corner there very cool um, a note I will get back to uh, Pantera's gear looks like uh, a bathing suit or a kid's onesie instead of having the great pants it should have been striped all the way through Right. I think it would have looked a little better there um, I'm wondering how Brian Christopher looks like he's had more plastic surgery work done than his dad I'm wondering if anyone got Jerry Lawler's heckle and Jekyll joke. If anyone that was watching the show was old enough to have gotten it. And then I know where Tuck gets after taking a beating the entire match, hits him, but you know, driver gets the pin. I also don't understand why Brian Christopher, the entire match, I know he's feuding with Taka. Get it. But he has not beaten Taka. He's been... He's lost to Taka Michinoku. And the whole time he's like, I want Pantera to win. Pantera needs to win. Yeah, Pantera kicked his butt. 
if Pantera beats Taka and you can't beat Taka, then in theory you cannot beat Pantera. Right. And so why why don't you be like, no, don't beat him. That means you're even stronger. That means I'm never getting this title. And those are my notes. <laughs> Except for the one I'm and ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Masked Library's Heavy Metal Match of the Night. Heavy Metal, baby. <laughs> uh, a couple of interesting notes I have to, <laughs> to add on to uh, the Masked Library's rendition. Uh, during commentary, uh, I love JR mocking Brian Christopher, talking in his double negatives. And apparently how Christopher doesn't have a grasp of the English language. He must have missed a lot of school growing up. Um, at one point, uh, we see Pantera, uh, does a back body drop of Takamichinoku onto the floor and he runs across the ring and charges across and does essentially a running swanton bomb over, you know, head first, uh, senton bomb over the top rope onto the floor. And it just crazy, 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 uh, bump for him to take onto the floor itself. Um, Pantera throws Takamich Noku in. I don't know if you guys saw, but he starts doing a wear down hold on Takamich Noku, Pantera, and the referee is laying down to, you know, start talking to Taka as if he wants to, um, you know, give up the match. But one of the Japanese photographers at ringside yells at the referee, hey, move out of the way. I want to get a shot. And you could visibly see this conversation where Jack Doan moves out of the way so that during the wear down hold, the, the photographer can get that ring shot. Um, it seems to be the typical pattern of a Taka Michinoku match. We saw it in the Degeneration X uh, episode where he won the title and this one where for a good chunk of the match, he, he's on the defensive getting beat down and then it's just like one or two big spots, and then boom, Michinoku Driver for the win. Um, we see Pantera going for, towards the end of the match, a standing Hunakarana to Taka, but Taka essentially does a sit-out power bomb. He then rolls out of the ring, climbs to the top rope, does his typical top rope drop kick to the back of the wrestler's head, uh, stiffened right in the middle of the shoulder blades and neck region. And then he hits that Taka, or that Michinoku driver for the one, two, three victory. Uh, Post match, we see shenanigans of Brian Christopher saying that he's sick and tired of Taka Michinoku. He's going to finally get up and go do something about it. So he puts his headset down, begins to creep his way to ringside, and as if he's going to go up into this, go up the steps into the ring to confront Taka Michinoku. But then Jerry Lawler follows him and acts as if he's holding Brian Christopher back. And then we see Takamichinoku run across the ring, jump to the top rope, and do like a cross body block onto both Lawler and Brian Christopher. They eventually recover, surround Takamichinoku on opposite sides of the ring. And as they are about to get into the ring, Taka slides under the bottom rope and jumps over the rail into the crowd. And the crowd celebrates as his music's playing and he has won the match. All right. Question Why do Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler? in their commentary sound horribly racist at times, but Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura never did. Because uh, there, there is heel announcing and I will accept heel announcing and love heel announcing. And there, you know, there's just being that character, but then there's what they were doing. I'm like, you don't sound like heel announcers. You just sound like a holes. Yeah. And I, and I I don't know exactly where the line is. 
I certainly, you know, don't know any of these people in real life to know like, oh, it's because they really think this way or because they think this way and something's coming through in their commentary. Like, I don't know what it is, but Heenan and Ventura just sounded like fun heel announcers and, oh, that's terrible thing to say, but I know you don't mean it. It's just a joke. And Lawler and Christopher sound like, I don't want to hang out with you at the family barbecue. Have you gone back and watched the um, Ventura and Heenan stuff? I'm just curious if it if it holds up as well as you think it does or if it, you know. It, and I mean, I've gone through like some old Tuesday Night Titans and, you know, like some stuff like that just to see. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about it where it just seems like a character and in jest and goofing around and being a good sport. Maybe because like Heenan especially I'll say terrible things but I'll take the punishment too as the character I'll put on the weasel suit I'll be humiliated I'll you know I'll eat it later and it balances out whereas you don't really see that with like Lawler other than Bret Hart feud I I think maybe just because the attitude error is supposed to be edgy and back then it's more lighthearted with a wink and a nod but I don't know so following that up, guys, we have uh, Kevin Kelly in the AOL room with Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, um, who for some reason, I mean, he's Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack is referring to him as Terry. I don't know why in the interview. Um, what's going on here? Anyone know? Basically, they're just trying to go back and forth between the face team, the heel team over the uh, oh, who is going to be the uh, the replacement and what's going to happen you know Owen Hart said earlier in the night he doesn't care who the replacement is and when asked about if he he and Austin can coexist it's a if he stays out of my way I'll stay out of his kind of deal and then really just pushing his storyline along with with Hunter and this they're just you know Hammond and Han Cactus and Chainsaw Charlie about the new age outlaws and the the dumpster ride that they took off the stage which was probably one of the more iconic spots in the attitude era uh, that was continuously referenced and replayed over time. Um, very unique to see the Chainsaw Charlie character, Terry Funk, out of character, not having his, you know, hosiery mask, you know, on. And, and, you know, he's talking, he's being interviewed, so to speak. But, yeah, just trying to hype up the, the main event and the, trying to increase the mystery surrounding the mystery man replacement for the injured Shawn Michaels. I feel like everyone knew the Chainsaw Charlie idea was stupid, but they all respected Terry Funk so much they just let it go. Yeah, where did the um, Chainsaw Charlie idea come from? Why why even do it? Because, I mean, Terry Funk's such a legend and icon. I mean, they literally gave him an award at the last, <laughs> like, two in your houses ago at Bad Flood. I guess he had, like, he wanted to do something like Foley, doing the three faces of Foley, and this was some, like urban legend character when he grew up this weird guy named chainsaw charlie and he just thought it'd be funny i thought it would I thought there'd be more to the story to be honest with you i wasn't sure when i was watching it so thought that was interesting all right guys let's play a little game of mad libs i need you to give me t- two random tag teams oh man a tag team whose second run in the wwf for me is a complete blur because I wasn't really watching late Saturday night wrestling at all <laughs> in college. 
So I, I, I almost forgot that the Quebecers actually had a second run after Jean-Pierre Lafitte did his singles run as the pirate gimmick and feuded with, with Bret Hart. And, and I, I completely forgot about this whatsoever. And, uh, so it's 98 and the Godwins, I guess, are still also around after, uh, uh I, I was under the impression that Henry Godwin had a pretty bad neck injury. I spoke about that at the last show, but he, I guess he's still, uh, going pretty strong here. So maybe the, maybe the neck injury I'm thinking about with the LOD maneuver, uh, with the doomsday device, maybe it happened later on, uh, in the summer before he had to take some time off. The, the craziest thing and something that stands out to me about this match is the camera angle that they take because they ignore the hard cam and go to a handheld cam because there's so many empty seats of people going to get popcorn and soda. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I, I didn't pick up on it, but now that you're mentioning it now, it absolutely makes sense. This particular match was a chore to get through. And it should have been essentially left on a Sunday night heat shotgun Saturday night, be a dark show kind of deal. It it, it was sadly filler uh, to to get some guys some pay, I guess. I, I mean, it's so I don't understand it. I don't understand anything in this match. I don't understand the point of it. The, there's no need for filler. There's nothing that like happened beforehand that they're like, oh crap, we got to scramble and just throw some random people on the card. And you're right. You can see everyone in the crowd that's just like, oh, I I can. This will go a little while. I don't have to rush. I I can I can go to the bathroom. I can get a snack. I can pop outside for a cigarette. I can just take five minutes alone and do whatever, and I'll be back for the next good match. I mean. The, the WWE they or WWF at the time tried to justify the match by showing you know preview or previous matches that each were in with some combination of the Los Bariquas on Shotgun Saturday Night where each team interferes to cause the other to lose to Savio and whichever Bariqua he was tagging up with, but when these two finally got two teams got together in the ring, oh, it was such a slow match to get into. Uh, I have very few notes to really talk about. Um, you know, beginning of the match, Phineas hits a modified spine buster slam on Jacques, maybe about midway through the match. It was just so slow to get into. Um, I was more distracted by the terrible camera work. I guess Matt did bring it up. There were way too many shots in the ring focusing in on Jacques Rougeau's head and the cold oh, comb over that he had. You know, he tried to grow his hair out to cover that comb over, but you know, at this time he should have just worse. went that when he should have just went to Austin look at this point. Um, uh, you know, Pierre makes the hot tag and is all fired up and is going crazy and is beating his chest, but it's dead silence because there's hardly anybody in the crowd left to watch the match. Uh, the Quebecers end up doing a double stun gun move, uh, picking up Phineas and basically clotheslining him over the top rope. Uh, most notable moves of the match that I saw, Jacques did a pile driver to Phineas. And I was kind of shocked to see that because you don't really see, hadn't seen too many pile drivers since the Owen Hart accident that had happened. 
later on in the match, we see a, a review of uh, Vader and, and Kane and Vader's version of a kneel down pile driver. Uh, but this was a sit out pile driver that Jacques did. Quebecers did their old school finish from when they were the in their mounty gear days where Pierre climbs to the top rope and Jacques grabs both of his hands and guides Pierre down for essentially the big top rope forward flipped senton. But um, Henry Godwin essentially breaks up the pin on Phineas to save Phineas. Jacques does a top rope cross body onto Henry Godwin from Godwin's corner off the top rope to the floor. But miraculously, Henry Godwin recovers quite quickly and as Pierre is trying to do a roll-up by pushing Phineas into the rope and then do a, a roll-back, kind of like a backland bridge, um, Phineas essentially ducks, and uh, we got a hard clothesline from Henry Godwin, and Phineas basically tumbles over, falls on top of Pierre for a 1-2-3. Um, the post-match angle was kind of goofy because there wasn't really too much of a pull-apart, and apparently the Quebecers were kind of in the ring celebrating to the hard camera and then after the match that they just lost raising their hands but then the godwins run in and smash their empty buckets each over the head uh once or twice and then they just walk out so dead crowd not really of an interesting storyline going on between the two teams probably in my opinion the worst match of the night certainly could have been skipped nothing memorable really well, like, I don't understand why these two teams are playing like my kid and his best friend. Okay, you be the good guy, and I'll be the bad guy. Okay, that was fun. Now, I'll be the good guy, and you be the bad guy. Okay, now, we both want to be good guys. Okay, well, we can't do that. Okay, we'll both be bad guys. No, we can't. All right, I don't want to play anymore. Like, <laughs> the, the, there's two heel teams, and they switch roles, and none of it's working. That pile driver should not have happened. That seemed like, hey, there's a good chance this goes wrong, but trust me, I can do it right. Like, the, the risk of something bad happening on that pile driver just seemed too high to even do it. Speaking of something that wasn't a good idea and probably risky to say, is Jerry Lawler's quote during this match. Oh, baby. Where Jim, where Jim Ross brings up Bill Clinton, and Lawler says, don't get me started on Clinton. Where's Lee Harvey Oswald now that his country needs him? Oh, gosh. No. For someone with a national platform and millions of people watching and all, there's just some things you don't say. Threatening violence against the sitting president's probably one of those for such a large platform, even as a joke. That's how you get calls and people showing up at your house saying, we have some questions for you. I don't know if if Lawler wants the FBI digging into his personal I, life. I would imagine probably. Listen. Not. I did a deep dive this week on that stuff uh, that it's bad. Like, I don't think we saw all the news at the time when we were younger. I'm not going to bring it up on here. It's not the place for it, but it's bad. Yeah, there's really not a lot to this match. So uh, let's move on. We got Doc Hendricks interviewing the new age outlaws. And it's pretty crazy to see how they've kind of you know, felled right into the new age outlaw gimmick when we were just seeing them team up as uh, the road dog and uh, Billy Gunn, just a few uh, uh, pay-per-view previous for us, at least, you know, interesting. They're pushing the, uh, their agenda that they feel like they're not being respected. 
by anyone, even though they're the tag team champions. And now they're just going to essentially go out and and get the respect they deserve. Uh, funny how they're they're like, no, we don't know who the partner or who our partner is going to be. We thought you were about ready to tell us, and then they go off on their little tangent. Um, still starting to slowly plant the seeds. These guys are starting to get their feet a little bit more firmly planted under themselves and what kind of characters and what kind of team they're going to be. And we get to eventually see them blossom and become one of the probably best known teams of the nineties in the WWF uh, very, very soon. Yeah. Then we get the attitude era commercial. Uh, What a fantastic commercial this is. It's been so long since I've seen this commercial and the, the one line that sticks out to me, was Shawn Michaels' line. Do you guys remember what he said? That he's had That's over a dozen concussions? Yep. yep. Do, like, what do you think Daniel Bryan would say to that today? Or any other wrestler that we've seen that have been off for months on end? You know, Alexa Bliss with a concussion. Sasha with a concussion. I mean, Kyrie Sane, what has been this past year, had like two concussions probably within six weeks of each other. Uh, six eight weeks of each other it's just crazy how they're like yeah you know i've had about 12 concussions so don't try this at home if you're if you're going to bring this kind of style commercial back what's the best way to do it ray mysterio i lost an eye oh no (laughs) he's got a ping pong ball super glued to his hand (laughs) hand. yeah i think you i think you do it i think you do it with the women probably yeah i I would say yeah I mean, you could get Nikki Bella to say I wrestled with a broken freaking neck. Throw the commercial mm-hmm. radar. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I, I think you'd want to go with your women to highlight. You don't think we're real athletes. I think that is a smart, genius campaign. Um, we're, we're, we're superheroes. We can do whatever we want. But I mean, you could have the four horsewomen. You could have Alexa on that, Asuka. Um, I even and. Uh, aware of complaints but even Nia Jax right you'd be like do you think like look at what I've dealt with online you think you're strong enough to deal with that or, or she could talk about her double knee you know being blown out yeah. and still working with both I mean she was working it sounds like if I remember the diva stuff total diva stuff and all that she was working with like a, a month or two with like one ACL blown out and then eventually she overcompensated for it and had the other. And she basically had to drag herself through WrestleMania to get through that four team women's tag title match. Uh, that the iconic, I think it was the iconics that one. And, uh, then she was out for the year to have surgery. I mean, honestly, why not do a commercial like this, you know, an echo of this commercial and have it be the commercial, the preview for evolution Two, Right. So I, I was just wondering, because um, you mentioned about Nia Jax doing that story on Total Divas. When we're done with In Your House, Educator, should we do Total Bellas? No. Watch an episode a week? No, you're, you're going to have to find a third man. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> you're going to find a new guy. You're, you're going to have to hire a fake diesel or a fake razor to replace me. <laughs> Funny if we just have Crone Meltzer come out as fake educator. <laughs> Have the call him the salutatorian. It's the substitute. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the dozen concussions thing. Now, uh, treats you'd probably know better, have the exact examples and all. 
but there have been football players who randomly had violent acts that they were able to trace back to CTE issues. Could Shawn Michaels' problems at this time, yes, the you know substance abuse and other things didn't help, but if he's had a dozen concussions, he's got problems in his head, which might cause him to lash out in certain ways yeah. at the time here, you know? Yeah, it's a it's it's a really fascinating line, like you said, uh, educator. It um, we've come we've come so far. We've come so far with how what we know. Um, I mean, we were talking about this. Uh, you know how they use these injuries. You know, um, to kind of justify things. I mean, it's crazy. It really is, especially when you look back. I mean, you look back at old NFL and stuff, and you look at concussion protocol now in the NFL, and even that's still a joke in a lot of situations. I mean, um, they 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 mess. They, I'm trying to find the the right words for it, but they in the NFL the way the concussion protocol works is you're you know if if you seem dazed or you take a big hit, you're supposed to be out for a few plays and you go through some quick tests, but. There's been many cases where, oh, uh, case in point is Cam Newton, who's a quarterback. He got just nailed, and he was out for one play because he's the star player. Like, they just put him back in. I mean, it's that's just kind of how it goes. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts to do it. It's crazy. And it makes you wonder now with the, the way TV for wrestling is, I mean, COVID era, and the ability to maybe edit or hit the pause button on the presentation when there is an injury as opposed and then trying to diagnose right there on the spot versus, all right, tough it out, get through the rest of the match, and we'll take care of it later. It makes you wonder if more of these diagnosable injuries are, are now going to become more and more apparent. You know, the the most recent big injury, the edge tricep injury, had this been a live show, uh, you know, they they would have absolutely just continued through, gone right to the finish. It, it's my understanding he hurt his he got hurt, and help me out, Hellions. Um, it was about probably about halfway through. It wasn't like it, at the, at it was the, on a retape. Right? It, was it was on a retape. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was just a matter. It, it's just crazy how with, with this new era of how the presentation is going and limited to no crowd whatsoever that we're going to see injuries more and more diagnosed and immediately handled as opposed to you got to tough it out for the crowd, blah, 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 and potentially, you know, opening yourself up to even more significant damage. So why don't we uh, play another game of Mad Libs, guys? (laughs) Okay, so this segment... I totally forgot about this angle. Short-lived angle, and, and they tried to do more with it when they brought in an even bigger, uh, the heavy hitter uh, down the road, who was the NWA world champion at one point. Uh, but th- this was an interesting kind of like rebranding with the help of the WWF, and I truly believe that this was because of Bruce Prichard and you know his ties to some of the uh, officials of the NWA organization from his time in Houston wrestling. Yeah, so we get um, the NWA North American Championship match. I mean, man, on the card, what a, what a, who would have thought? I mean, that's what you're paying for, so. The only heavyweight title match on the card. Why didn't this main event? 
So uh, we have uh, Jeff Jarrett coming out with Jim Cornette, flanked by Barry Windham in the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, and they're taking on the big tough Texan Bradshaw. Um, so, yeah, what did you guys think of this? And does this feature the greatest inside cradle ever, or does it feature the greatest inside cradle ever? A uh, couple of things just before the match starts. So, the Rock and Roll Express uh, were the NWA World Tag Team Champions, and Jeff Jarrett had recently on WWF television won a uh, the NWA, um, not the National, North American Heavyweight Championship. And one of the things I have to ask you guys, and help me out here, NXT has brought back the uh, a version of the North American title. And WWF, I believe, when it was WWWF, had a North American heavyweight championship. I do remember Ted DiBiase actually being a champion at the time. When WWF... Or now I'll say the the NXT brand when they brought back the North American Championship as an NXT title, it, the actual NWA franchise brought back one of their singles titles, and I actually think they brought it back prior to NXT bringing it back. They brought back the uh, the national, uh, the NWA national championship, and. This title, uh, we, we've seen it on the NWA Power show. Um, it, it was originally uh, Colt Cabana had won the title and then eventually lost it to uh, Aaron Stevens. And now Aaron Stevens still has it, at least to my knowledge, given everything with COVID right now. And there's suspect of NWA being in trouble. Uh, Aaron Stevens, the national champion, that particular belt, though, and I believe it was Willie Mack who actually had won the title, that particular, that red title belt that basically is just a, a literally a United States championship, help me out. Do you remember, guys, if did NXT bring the North American championship back before NWA brought the national title? The only reason why I ask is the physical championship belt that both the rock and roll express had on this taping. Granted, this is 1998 and then Jeff Jarrett's North American title, those titles, those physical belts, if they're still in existence, if not a redesigned based on those titles, I really think that's something that the NWA should be using. Now I am not a fan of, the current NWA Tag Team Championship, it's supposed to be a throwback to like the 84, 85, early 86 championships that the Andersons had, the Rock and Roll Express had, and so on. And then the national title, the the physical belt, the remake of the national title, Willie Mack had it, Colt Cabana had it, James Storm had it, uh, and now, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Stevens currently has it. it to me. It's just in the both sets of titles are very, very ugly looking. And the two belts that we see in this pay-per-view to me, and then maybe it's just cause I'm a, have different tastes in the, in the championship presentation. I just thought the belts shown on this pay-per-view were so much more visibly appealing. And I think they would be better suited for current presentation of product. Well, that, I mean, we're into, copyright and legalities for large million billion dollar corporations 
it wouldn't shock me if they're like, okay, we don't have the rights to the NWA name anymore, but we have the rights to these designs for the belts. Well, we're going to do with them. They say NWA, we're not going to do anything, but it means you're not going to do anything either. We'd rather eat this than give you a chance to make money off of it. That's just that level of business. And I know like when NWA rebranded as a part of what TNA was and they had the NWA title, which is the, the the domed globe for the heavyweight championship. The tag titles were like pretty much very similar to the tag titles that the Rock and Roll Express had visually here. I just, I, to me, maybe it's, again, I'm, me being the belt guy, or at least being a fan of the retro belts, I just, I feel that these belts are, are much more suited than the current day presentation than what we see now. Um, but very, very interesting, the, this whole NWA brand being on the WWF television. I'm sure it was a favor that Bruce Pritchard was able to do, having ties with Houston Wrestling and some of the uh, Paul Bosch in particular uh, with the Houston Wrestling and NWA. Um, weird match, the pacing of the match at the very start. Bradshaw just looks like a beast, just oh. pounding, chopping kicking Jarrett in the corner. Uh, Bradshaw has a clothesline on Jeff Jarrett over the top rope onto the floor. Um, Bradshaw checks uh, Jarrett, and, or clunks, I should say, Jeff Jarrett's head and uh, Jim Cornette's head together, uh, double nogginogger kind of deal. Uh, and then eventually Jarrett eventually makes his way back into the ring and is able to hit a second rope drop kick onto Bradshaw, we see Cornette trying to make the most of his time out in the ring, doing some healing shenanigans, interference. We hear commentary discuss how, especially JR, that he's always said over the years that he feels that there's more in that tennis racket than just an actual tennis racket itself. Cornette heals and is is healing hard and choking Bradshaw over the second rope on a ref distraction. Bradshaw attempts on a uh, when he throws Jarrett into the ropes a very very ugly looking inside cradle small package so much for him being a wrestling god uh, but he ends up getting a two count for that inside cradle we see Cornette get into the, uh, involved again and he nails Bradshaw in his heavily bandaged leg his knee when the ref was turned and distracted so Jarrett starts working the knee uh, the injury done, doing uh, leg drops and kicks to the back of the leg onto the knee, uh, to, you know, to continue to work on the knee. There's a figure four attempt by Jeff Jarrett, and Bradshaw uses his foot to push Jarrett in the butt into the corner. He gets up and he essentially tries to do a, a standing uh, clothesline from hell, but Jarrett essentially ducks under it and ends up hitting a DDT. Jarrett attempts to do a crossbody off the top rope, and Bradshaw catches him and does his fallaway back slam, commonly known with uh, Scott Hall and the Razor Ramon gimmick uh, that he used to do. We see Bradshaw give a, a pretty stiff-looking powerbomb to Jarrett. Cornette essentially gets dragged into the ring. He gets beeled over the top rope. He ends up dropping his tennis racket. And as Bradshaw is focusing his efforts and his attention on Jim Cornette, Jarrett ends up 
uh, picking up that tennis racket and nails Bradshaw with the tennis racket in front of the referee. Referee calls for the bell. Eventually, Bradshaw gets the upper hand and the Rock and Roll Express run into the ring and get beat up by Bradshaw as Bradshaw is setting up Cornette to run the ropes so that he will hit his clothesline from hell. Barry Windham sneaks down and trips Bradshaw. Eventually, the entire NWA uh, contingent gets into the ring, starts triple teaming, and then we see a run-in from the Legion of Doom who end up making a save. And uh, post-match, we see a celebration with LOD and Bradshaw on the ring, and even JR on commentary is like, look at Bradshaw, look at the size of this man, comparing them to LOD, and even LOD essentially looks smaller than Bradshaw. Just a weird, weird match in terms of the contingent and the members involved, slowly trying to advance a storyline that unfortunately did not go very far after WrestleMania. It's, I don't know what it is if Bradshaw, you know, had some extra supplements to him, if he was doing different weights. I don't know what, but he's bigger here than I've ever seen him. Like, scary big. Even the way he comes out, he just comes out swinging. He's got, like, those chaps on leather vest and, all. like, real close to Austin's gear, too, which I'm sure they yeah, had to get him away from. But, like... And in Texas, too, just comes out like this giant cowboy from hell to just beat everyone. Doesn't happen. But he looks like a monster, especially, you're right, standing next to LOD. Or as Jim Ross called them, the road warriors. And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I get why he said it, of course, but it was an interesting slip up. Now, you were saying like the NWA thing's probably a favor and all, and here's this idea. It's also could have been, hey, here's our version of a competing company coming in and invading our company. Why not do NWA shirts that look like the NWO logo? Like, <laughs> could parody, I see that? Yep. Parody law could have covered it possibly, but you really could have done it as instead of like these invading outsiders who are just here to beat everyone up. Here's these invading wrestlers who are better than our wrestlers. Right. Like, you know, they're going to win matches and take our titles and stuff like that. And what are we going to do? And it, it's a callback, a throwback too. I mean, the guys that were involved, Rock and Roll, Barry Windham, they were all huge in Ted Turner, or not Ted Turner, Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, in the 80s. And then eventually we get a rebranded team called the New Midnight Express that get, get, gets involved. And eventually, we see Dan Severn, who also was NWA world champion. Was Bradshaw doing a Stan Hansen cosplay? Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he's (laughs) just coming off of the new Blackjacks gimmick. So, of course, doing the uh, Mulligan and Lanza kind of spiel, two tough, you know, Texans. But without a doubt was doing the uh, the Stan Hansen tribute, so to speak. At, th- at this point, I'm pretty sure Stan Hansen was either semi, if not full-out, retired by early 98. Um, so, yeah. Eventually, in the sp- in later on in the fall, at the and we'll be talking about this in a future episode, we're going to see a cleaner-shaven and haircut Bradshaw uh, when he has a singles match against Vader. 
I believe it's at the breakdown in your house that we'll eventually look at. And it almost lends to a precursor of uh, the JBL character that we are going to see a lot, lot later down the road. He hasn't even done his acolytes or APA tag team yet with Ron Simmons. Well, and, and you're wondering if it's a, a Stan Hansen copy tribute, whatever. Let's also say there's a Tito Santana tribute here because he's fresh off the new Blackjacks gimmick. He hasn't had time to shave or color his hair back to natural, even though Barry Windham looks like Barry Windham again. And furthermore, he's still wearing his new Blackjack tights, which has a giant BJ on his butt. <laughs> I, I struggle to think of a worse choice of a logo on a wrestling tights. And then Michael Cole follows that up with an interview with Triple H in China. Um, and DX is claiming they want a handicap match in their uh, main event, that they don't, uh, they don't need a fourth member. And is this the point where they say that if they don't have a fourth member, the WWF will just assign them anyone on the roster? Essentially assign them, and Triple H is like, eh, whatever, doesn't matter. As long as they stand on the apron... You know, and not get in the way. We're going to continue to kick butt and take names kind of deal and take out the uh, the contingent. There's scheduled to face for the night. Did it seem with the way Triple H was saying stuff like no one in the WWF can replace Sean, that they were trying to fool the fans into thinking someone was going to jump? And the fourth person is going to be like a WCW jump? If you th- a question when we eventually get there, and maybe because you're bringing it up now, I mean we're what four five weeks away from WrestleMania, I believe at this point. Yeah. Think about who ends up debuting the night after WrestleMania. I'm wondering if you know that particular uh, one two three kid who's going to re debut very soon. I wonder if he was in talks. Uh, if he had already been released, it's escaping me right now when exactly he got released and fired from WCW because and he was out on injury with an injured neck. It makes me wonder, would, could they have possibly teased him coming in early or was there ever a discussion about him coming in early if that was even a viable option to be the substitute for the match? True. Sure. Sure, I could see that maybe... He wasn't medically cleared. Maybe he wasn't legally cleared. Right. But it certainly makes sense. Yeah. So uh, before we move on, why don't we take a quick break? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Coming this October to the Retro Something frightening. Something terrifying. All those enter. Enter at their own risk. Will you step in to the haunted house show? Starting October 1st on the Retro Network. (laughs) 
Hello there everyone, this is IWC Legend Crone Meltzer, and if you're like Sequel Quest, you may be struggling from promoactile dysfunction. Maybe recently something in your life has changed. Maybe you've just been embarrassed by the house show. Whatever the reason, just know that that's okay. It happens to a lot of podcast hosts. And I'm here to help. Sign up for my promo class, and I will be providing you the help needed. This has been Crone Meltzer, and just remember, you can keep riding dirty as you approach 30. Alright, so when we return, uh, we have Doc Hedricks interviewing the Nation of Domination. Um, and I think this might be one of the more famous promos and probably the most famous thing right now from this pay-per-view is the meme of the rock rolling his eyes. Um, how great is the rock in this promo without even saying any words? It's fantastic with Farouk turning his body away from the camera having a conversation, looking at Doc Hendricks, talking about how the team is going to go, you know, go over tonight and how they're dominant, blah, blah, blah. How he does not see the facial and the mannerisms that Rocky Maivia is doing in this promo is 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 just hysterical. It's just going on literally two feet away, two feet away from him. And without a doubt, the charisma of Dwayne Johnson is really starting to shine and he is beginning to get a firm grip on amazing things that are about to become with his character. It's, I mean, Rock absolutely steals it, of course. But this promo and the later match makes me wonder how much of The Rock turning around, becoming a star and everything, if Farouk had any help in that. Because minus The Rock, you look at the rest of the nation in the next match, Ron Simmons Farouk is absolutely the mentor for every one of them. And you can see it in the match. And Nation Domination at this point is almost like a beta test of evolution. Here's the guy that used to be world champ. Here's our current star. And here's some guys that we're trying to get up to that level. Would you, so you obviously rock is number one from that group. Um, yeah, probably Farouk Ron Simmons career number two, or would you put Mark Henry number two overall career? So, you know, NWA WCW, I'd put Ron Simmons two. I put Ron Mark Simmons Henry two, first. Mark Henry three, and then you could go either way with comma and D'Lo. I would probably say comma just because of he was around for so long. Right. Like and so Charles Wright variations of a character. Whereas D'Lo was always D'Lo Brown, and it was always just the cocky, arrogant, you know. Whereas Kama, I mean, he was supreme fighting machine. He was, he was th- this iteration of Kama. Then he transitions into Kama the Godfather, where he's just starting with the bolo hat and the cigar, and then full blown, uh, crazy, crazy Godfather gimmick. And but then going on the previous tale on the previous end before the Supreme Fighting Machine, he was you know a Papa Shango, 
And before Papa Shango, a version of that light character, he was called the Soul Taker in USWA. So lots of reinventions that Kamen ended up having Charles Roy uh, with, uh, you know, his characters in wrestling. And just to um, kind of a call back to the Hall of Fame thing, the one thing that does upset me about the WWE Hall of Fame is that Charles Wright should have been inducted, not the Godfather. Absolutely. Yeah, same thing absolutely. with same thing with Scott Hall. Kevin uh, Nash, not Diesel. Yeah, exactly. It should be Medusa Michelli, without a doubt. I can see them doing. I can see them justifying the Electra Blaze because she threw the belt in. True. The trash, but that's the only reason. But it's just pettiness, pettiness. All right. So why don't we move on? Um, a question for the Mast Library. Okay, your Mast Library. Do you have a dictionary there? Not nearby, but in in my home library, yes. What does the word attrition mean? <laughs> I meant to look it up too. <laughs> because if you're going to have a war of attrition match, how is it one fall? War of elimination, baby. <laughs> like, like in all honesty, <laughs> I don't get this. I, I meant to have like the exact Webster's definition too, and I forgot to write it down. The educator comes prepared, okay? The substitute <laughs> comes prepared. You don't come prepared, so. Um, no, so we go to the war of attrition match, but there is no attrition <laughs> that happens. Uh, we get the nation of domination, of course, um, those five that we just talked about uh, versus Ken Shamrock, Ahmed Johnson, and the DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse. Um, do you guys want to go over this match? Why not? Couple, Sounds like a good time. Just a <laughs> couple of interesting things that I picked up watching the match. Rocky is starting to continue to set himself apart. We discussed his ring gear uh, last show or the, a couple shows back. Now we don't even have any kind of like color banding on his tights. He now is just solid black tights. And on the back, it says the word the rock on it. Whereas the rest of the nation of domination, they have that banding colors, the red, the green, the yellow, the white, and so on. I noticed when the face team got all of them got into the ring and I didn't notice this. Ken Shamrock is so much smaller than I remember him being standing around all three members of DOA, Ahmed Johnson. And then even next to the rest of the nation, he is just like stature wise. Like I just see like, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero sized frame in terms of height versus like everybody else that he's around in. He just looks so tiny. Kama in the Kama Mustafa, to me, I like this particular version better than the Supreme Fighting Machine, better than the subtle mo- movement into the uh, the pimp kind of deal with the bolo hat and the and the actual uh, you know the cigar. He just looks his ring gear and his movement. He just looks so badass. When he eventually started wrestling in like the neon green blue jeans and the vest and this, it just, it was such a different presentation, not very, very appealing. Ahmed Johnson tags in and a couple of things I noticed. He is, and tell me if you guys saw it, he is looking a lot more visibly out of shape. Like he's gaining weight. Mm -hmm. To me, he's just, you, you see a thicker gut in the belly. Uh, I did notice that he had brand new ring boots, very, very shiny black ring boots that went all the way up to his knees. 
And then running down the front of them, he had the name Ahmed going down both of his ring boots. So this was like a new set of ring boots because normally he had like red ring boots that always went with the color of his gear. I guess to offset the ring boots, the the black ring boots that he had for his second pair of knee pads, because, you know, he wrestles with two pairs of knee pads. At least it appeared one pair was around his knees. But, you know, he's got red tights, but it does have kind of like a black banding that goes down the side and along the waist. So it's like a black trim. So he has two sets of knee pads. One of them is black and one of them is red. Wouldn't it make sense that you would keep them symmetrical to one another? Apparently not. Or he's confused as to which set he put on the left thigh and which color should match up with the right thigh. It was just very distracting, the alternating colors of the of the knee pads that were covering his thighs, where he had a black pair and a red pair on. Uh, he is wrestling. He's going back and forth uh, with some of the members of the nation. At one point, D'Lo tags into the match, and D'Lo hits a move that knocks Ahmed down. Did you guys notice how Ahmed started rolling the wrong way away from the yep. turnbuckle? And D'Lo had to time his uh, low-down frog splash, and he had to dive essentially like two-thirds of the way across the ring, try to do the, you know, the, the tuck with the knees and then spring out with the splash. He was still able to get a little bit of his forearms and elbows across Ahmed's body. But we had discussed in previous uh, episodes how there's there seemed to be a lot of faculties with Ahmed Johnson getting more and more apparent that weren't completely all there. And just his timing just looked off, his placement in the match. He, look, he was just, just out of it, it seemed, for me. After uh, eventually recovering from that uh, sky high, he ends up... Uh, Farouk ends up tagging into the match and he's going back and forth with Farouk. At one point, Ahmed recovers and foreshadows that he's going to do a Pearl River plunge on Farouk. Rocky does come in and, and do a forearm across Ahmed's back to essentially break up. Uh, D'Lo tags back into the match. And were you guys aware that D'Lo could legally prepare your, your state taxes for you? <laughs> Did you know that D'Lo is a certified public accountant, CPA all day? So he at least has a fallback on his career if if the wrestling thing didn't work out. Just interesting if you didn't know that. We see continued tags in and out uh, from the Nation of Domination. We see uh, working on one of the Disciples of Apocalypse twins. Um, we see Rock do, an, uh, again, an unnamed, it hasn't been mentioned yet, but People's Elbow. Uh, particularly King talks about how he does that quick snap at the end to drop the elbow rock and D'Lo do a double team maneuver on skull. I believe it is skull from the uh, DOA twins similar to like, you know, the what's up from the Dudleys where D'Lo grabs the legs, but instead of rock doing a headbutt off the top rope, he just sucker punches the DOA member right in the groin. D'Lo attempts a very nice-looking moonsault onto the DOA uh, member, but the DOA member rolls out of the ring. Eventually, we get a hot tag to Ken Shamrock. Shamrock begins to go crazy in the ring, and eventually a 10-man crazy all-out melee and brawl occurs. 
eventually Shamrock works with Rock, does a belly-to-belly suplex on the Rock. Rock attempts to recover, do a swing on him, uh, like a clothesline-ish like swing. Shamrock catches the arm like a Fujiwara armbar, but then rolls around, grabs the ankle lock. We get an ankle lock submission and top out from the Rock pretty suddenly. And setting up their feud for or continuing their feud for eventually WrestleMania. Shamrock gets the win. We see the big celebration in the ring with all of the D, uh, the Nation of Domination members now at ringside. Post match, after the faces leave, we see the Nation in the ring, except for Rocky, who has taken his Intercontinental title and is slowly working his way to the back. We hear Farouk essentially begin to berate Rocky because he wants to do the Nation of Domination salute. Rocky eventually begrudgingly comes back into the ring. They get into an argument back and forth. There is shoving back and forth between the two. Eventually, D'Lo gets into the skirmish as well. I don't know if he got accidentally pie-faced by one of them or the other, but he's visibly upset, and one of the other two Nation members, I think Mark Henry, is basically holding D'Lo back from getting into a physical altercation with, uh, with Farouk. Eventually, Rock does come back into the ring after the skirmish. They all do the the five-man nation, you know, salute to the hard camera, and then we eventually cut away. I would agree with, like you're mentioning, D'Lo hitting that frog splash. D'Lo is the workhorse of this match by far. He is incredible in this match. He does so much. One of the youngest ones in the match, too, I'm pretty sure. You know who's not the workhorse of this match is Chains, who I don't believe is in the match at all. I don't believe he tags in. And the other thing I was going to mention, very limited action with Mark Henry. So well, they're trying to definitely. More reason for that. <laughs> absolutely. But they're trying to, you know, surround him with so many capable bodies, mentors. You know, we've got The Rock who is on the rise, but we've got Ron Simmons and Kama who are you know, veterans of the business to help him out. We've got D'Lo, who's like an undercard guy, but he is also starting to slowly have a meteoric rise. So we've got so many available people trying to get provide additional perspectives, but we're seeing a very, very young, very limited Mark Henry. And you're right, Chains, primetime Brian Lee, I don't even think he tagged into the match either. And uh, you, you were mentioning... You know, making sure that we knew that D'Lo is a certified public accountant. Do we know what Mark Henry is? As the strongest, strongest man? <laughs> the strongest drug-free athlete. Oh, right. Had, had to make sure we know that that's all natural there, Mark Henry. All natural, baby. Um, you know how when people are brought up from NXT, there's the idea of they're coming to take my spot, they're going to take my spot, whatever. Ken Shamrock has flat out taken Ahmed Johnson's spot in the WWF at this point. I the agree with that. the nation, the, inter, the intercontinental title picture, just being like this incredibly strong, uh, good guy with this rage that could come at any point. Look, Ahmed second to him. It's an interesting match. It's not terrible. No, there's a lot definitely, going on here. But it's not definitely a better one. than the eight man's. Or the six mans that we had seen between DOA and the Bruiquas, or oh, you know yeah. the, the original like the for, the leaders match 
the triple threat that we reviewed earlier in a previous show. This one, of all the ones that we have talked about with Nation of Domination uh, and Gang Rules, this was like probably the most watchable of all of them. I'd, I'd give you that, and certainly also better than Quebecers versus Godwins. I thought this match was better than the NWA match, too. <laughs> I mean, if you're yeah. ranking these matches on this pay-per-view. I'll give you that. Um, okay, so at this point, guys, I want to ask you guys a question. Hopefully you've been paying attention. How many wrestlers with vests have there been? <laughs> a whole lot. Because we're in that year. It's an age Yeah, so, so it was Mass Library. You want to guess? Five. Okay. Uh, the Educator, you want to guess? Three of the DOA, both Bradshaw and... Um, Bradshaw. Oh my goodness. Jeff had a jacket, <laughs> but Barry Windham had a vest on. Taco had a row. Oh, Brian Christopher had a vest on. So that's six. And then I'm going, I guess six would be my call. That is correct. It is six, six yeah. folks. Uh, of course, we do have Austin later in the show, but at this point, I just wrote down, I, wa I was really hoping that when they were making this pay-per-view and booking it out, that they wanted a vest in every match. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, up to this point, though, you could say, they were the six vest reasons to oh, watch. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Zing! Now, did this help you enjoy the pay-per-view more? Oh, Yes. So you were invested. <sighs> All right, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. I kind of like it. I was trying to no sell it. I was trying to make a CPA in invest <laughs> invest with D-Lo joke or something. <laughs> Too bad D-Lo didn't have his vest protector. Ooh. Not yet. He hadn't gotten stretched yet too. by Dan Severn. Severn hadn't debuted right. yet. Not yet. Well, speaking of vests, we have Michael Cole interviewing Stone Cold, who's wearing a polo. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, Michael Cole interviews uh, Stone Cold. And then, okay, why don't we do a random, uh, <laughs> let's do Mad Libs again. Who can Kane take on? Uh, screw it, Vader. What Vader is? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we got Vader versus Kane. Now, there is a video that um, sets up this match. And is that video a rib? Because in the video, it's just Kane beating Goldust. Every every person he beats up, every highlight, is just Goldust laying there beat up. Well, but you had not had that many matches yet. I'm just saying, you guys got to rewatch it. I remember talking at well, the uh, Bad Blood pay-per-view discussing vader climbing up to the top rope doing that back that moonsault and landing on his feet and i may, i can't remember if i made a comment about it there or a previous show how uh, i don't remember vader ever like successfully hitting the moonsault we do see in this video package i don't know if they were shotgun saturday night episodes or if they were raw shows where they just brought in local enhancement talent but we do see Vader actually hitting the moonsault and certainly not as impressive as I remember hitting the few times that he did it in WCW on the Guardian Angel. And I think he hit it once on Sting. Uh, just it was more of a glancing blow 
uh, on these uh, enhancement talents, but he does finish it. And we end up do seeing a moonsault attempt that unfortunately lands very, very weak on Kane in the match. Yeah, and that leads us to uh, Vader versus Kane. Of course, Kane with Paul Bearer. Um, what did you guys think of, uh, yeah, what did you think of this one? <laughs> I, I'm not going to invest the time and to do a full-blown recap. Uh, at, the, at least they didn't give Vader kind of the jobber, like, it's squash match, you know. Mick Foley essentially had a squash match at Survivor Series with Kane. And any match that Kane had had on TV, whether it be under the red lights, which luckily they finally got rid of that and they have the regular arena lighting, essentially was a squash. Yeah, Vader looked competitive, you know, with with Kane. But essentially, any kind of offense that Vader got in, you know, Kane was either using his superpowers to immediately spring back or would just be on the offensive no matter what and just would just be overpowering, um, over overbearing. We see at one point uh, Vader does set up for a moonsault off the top rope, and when Vader does complete the moonsault, it's more or less his head and neck glance off of Kane's chest, but nowhere near any of his torso. And of course, he's going to be very protective given his size and not wanting to be, and be protective of, of you know Kane's body and so on. Um, essentially, after that moonsault hits, uh, Kane essentially does the sit-up gimmick with his superpowers. Vader essentially clotheslines uh, Kane over the top rope. They continue to brawl back and forth on the floor. We see Vader dig under the ring, and he pulls out a toolbox, but then grabs a fire extinguisher. He essentially sprays Kane like three or four times in the face uh, with the fire extinguisher. Kane gets back in the ring. Vader ends up doing a power bomb onto Kane, which was you know a callback to his old finisher back in WCW. Kane essentially sits right up before Vader had the opportunity to go for a pin attempt. Kane uh, grabs Vader by the throat, does a choke slam, picks him up for the tombstone. We get a one, two, three. Uh, Competitive-ish match back and forth. Any kind of offense that Vader tried to get in physical after a move or two, Kane was automatically already on the the return and and overpowering. overpowering vader post-match we see a frustrated angry kane go out to ringside picks up the fire extinguisher that vader had used throws it to the side and then we see a ridiculously oversized over gimmicked wrench that he picks up from the toolbox goes into the ring and just basically swings for a home run over the top onto vader's skull essentially knocking out vader in the ring throwing the wrench down and you can see how the wrench has slightly bent due to the impact blow on the Vader's skull. What's depressing or disappointing is the post-match after that, where we've got medical personnel with a stretcher coming in the ring and how they're basically trying to slide or drag Vader across the ring to the stretcher. And rather than have Vader, you know, be placed on the stretcher on his back, Vader ends up rolling over on his belly and they strap him belly down to the stretcher and kind of cart him out of the building. And I just, I don't know. I didn't think it was necessary to go that route. I mean, like Vader after this match, I believe he had uh, surgery around his eye 
to repair some stuff, which is the whole wrench spot and all. Um, but you're right. Him coming out on his stomach just looks odd. And uh, it's just something about laying on your stomach. Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, seen someone, you know, asleep, passed out on their stomach. It just seems like an unnatural position. Anyways, certainly on the stretcher. Um, Kane looks incredible here. Just the way he's... Because we had the match before where Vader kind of got, like, a running start for Undertaker to pick him up. And Kane doesn't seem to need that. He just gets Vader up for the moves. It's just this gross, vulgar display of power here. It's yeah, he scary. scoops him up for a body slam in the match. That It's it's a regular move, and it's not nothing to 400-plus pound Vader. And then again, picking him up for the tombstone, it's nothing to him. Yeah, he... Kane is jacked to the gills here. He's huge here. And it's the video package for, for what it was. And it's too bad Vader wasn't in better shape. But it was kind of like, hey, Tokyo is being attacked by this giant new monster. We need to get Godzilla, another monster, and hope he's on our side now to battle this bigger monster. It's like, who's going who's gonna to defeat Kane? We'd have no one. Oh, let's get Vader. He's a monster. He was a bad guy before, but maybe he can save us now. But to go back to my Pantera and Takamichinoku thing here, Brian Christopher, Vader can't beat Undertaker. Undertaker has left, so he doesn't have to face Kane. So what chance does Vader actually have against Kane? Right. You know? But at this point, Kane's been, or Vader has been the most credible threat to Kane. In terms True. of, you know, being able to provide any realistic offensive. You know, they had the Mankind match earlier at the Survivor Series. But everything else, Kane has just blown through everybody. You know, run-ins on Ahmed Johnson, on Crush, on any, you know, large, intimidating-ish opponent. And he's just completely blown through like it's nothing. I mean, you do like a, for you guys, you do like a video game boss battle, you know, different levels of the game. This is the first major threat for Kane. Overcomes right. it, but it's the first exactly. one. Yeah, it's just setting up the, you know, the the mania match between him and, and Dagger. So. Um, so after that match and after Vader gets rolled out of there, um, we have a hard cut, which I'm going to guess is a WrestleMania 14 commercial because they are. Um, talking about uh, how exciting WrestleMania 14 is going to be. And then we get our non-sanctioned matched. Um, so we get the New Age Outlaws out first. Of course, Road Dog and BA Billy Gunn, uh, followed by Triple H and China. And their fourth member, who would be, drumroll please, Savio Vega. Did he wrap his way to the ring? He didn't wrap his way to the ring, but he had... No, but Road Dog did. Road Dog did, but Savio did have some wrapped up barbed wire that he was carrying to the ring as yes, a weapon. Unfortunately, just the audible groan from the crowd when Howard Finkel announced him as the replacement. And then as he came out, they didn't even like cue his music properly. He was already out visible on camera walking to the ring. And then they decided to play his, uh, play his entrance music. So very, very audible groan. Then we have the face team of Owen Hart introduced first, uh, cactus Jack and Terry funk. I should say chainsaw Charlie introduced next. And then when the glass shatters, and we and that pop just 
16,000 plus fans going absolutely crazy for Steve Austin in his entrance. All right. So before we get into it and before you break it down, I got a lot of questions to ask. <laughs> okay. Because once I watched the match, I did not like this main event. Um, really? It was the chaos just didn't work for me. It was overdone. There, the, It was just basically following Austin, which is fine. He's the guy at this point. But um, I did have a question. So take out Savio Vega. Why not just go to a six man at that point? You could have ran an angle. Do an where injury Owen got angle and either and take out Terry Funk. I would have taken. I would take out Owen and just to end to further the feud at WrestleMania. Because I think with two less people, it would have made for uh, an easier watch personally. Um, and obviously, with the New Age Outlaws, like we talked about earlier, putting in Chainsaw Charlie and uh, Mankind into the dumpster and throwing them off, you know. Um, there, there's the heat there. Um, and my other question is why not have your fourth person be China? I, I wonder if she was a trained or, or at least a, a good enough level yet that they could trust her for it. But it was, it wasn't like the match wasn't like a wrestling classic. It's a sure. brawl. Certainly lots of opportunities to, to hide her or to work around with a bunch of gimmicks that would really, you know, camouflage any deficiencies that she would have had as an in-ring performer at this point. I, I re, You're right. I really don't know how well she was trained. And we are maybe, what, two and a half, three months since her enhancement surgery as well. So perhaps she wasn't really cleared for in-ring work, which if you noticed in this entire match, she, she wasn't involved at all until the very, very end. And she just took one maneuver and i'm sure it could be very very protected if there were concerns about uh her enhancement surgery yeah because i i think the way i could have booked around that if you if we're going to play a little fantasy booker here but is that none of the face team is wants to engage with her right because she is a female and throughout the whole match she's getting in shots you know sneaking in doing that and you know you still get austin getting the win and then at the end of the night, you have him stun her. Uh, you can do the same exact ending because the end was great. Have him just stun her to finish the match and pin her to just make Sean still look strong, make whoever look strong so that she getting beat, okay, it finishes the match, but she's not going to be a WrestleMania contender anyway. And everybody still looks, you know, strong going into Mania later. Yeah, Absolutely. I just I I don't understand the point of just throwing Savio Vega in there and then building it up all night and then it's you know the, the letting the air out of the balloon. I forget where I heard it, but I guess there was something where when they were trying to figure out who would take Sean's place, it was Steve Austin that brought up Savio because he had a respect for Savio going back to their feud, which we saw in earlier in your house. Yep, this is Savio's one and only main event match in the well, main event pay per view at least in his time in WWF. So maybe it was just like a you know, a gift. All right, those were just uh, the few questions I had. I, like I said, I uh, was not a fan of this match, but um, it seems like you guys probably liked it a little more than I did. So, uh, educator, you want to break it down for Certainly us? Certainly watchable, but you know what, what you said itself, it was just a cluster of shenanigans for the first five or six minutes until like it, it wasn't even the ref separating them and into making it more of an eight-man tag i just after the chaos of the brawl they all kind of like slowly decided all right let's make this a tag match 
So we see towards the beginning of the match, eight-man brawl that starts heavy in the ring. Austin is paired up with Billy Gunn. They're going back and forth. He essentially attempts to do a stunner on Billy Gunn to what was a huge proud pop because he kicks in the gut. But then Billy Gunn is able to kind of run out of the ring and save himself. We see brawling ringside. Cactus Jack is smashing a thicker baking tray across the road dog's head. We see a double team maneuver where eventually Owen Hart does a belly. It looks more like a belly to belly, but Ross called it a, a more like a power slam. Uh, of Billy Gunn uh, through a table that was positioned leaning against the ropes in the middle of the ring that Cactus Jack had moved over. We see Owen Hart putting the sharpshooter on Billy Gunn, uh, you know, teasing that there's going to be a potential submission, but Triple H makes a last-moment save and knocks uh, Owen Hart down to stop the submission. The whole thing just continues as a big cluster of brawling and hardcore spots and weapons. We see Road Dog power bombing uh, Chainsaw Charlie across two chairs that were set up side by side across, or actually across from one another in the ring. Billy Gunn does a pile driver on Terry Funk, and the way the spot looked, his bot he came crashed down on a trash can lid that was in the ring. At one point, there's continuous brawling where I believe Road Dog's in the ring and Billy Gunn tries to do a run-in, but Steve Austin had grabbed a smashed-up trash can and flings the trash can from the apron at the corner across the ring into Billy Gunn, who's going running into the ring, and it just crushes him in the face. It was a very, very cool-looking spot. I noticed a lot in the match how like physical Earl Hebner was and trying to remove faces that were doing a run-in for saves. He's like stumbling to drag Cactus Jack out of the ring. At one point, Owen does a run-in and is charging across the ring, and he like waist-lock takedowns Owen to drag Owen out of the ring. It's just crazy how physical little scrawny Earl Hebner was being and trying to get any of the faces out who were trying to do run-ins for saves. We see at one point Cactus Jack does a double mandible claw. And with the Cactus Jack character, it just the mandible claw, because there's no protective gimmick, no leather around his hand that he's shoving down the throat to protect his own fingers. It just looked weird to me ever seeing Cactus Jack do that. Even Dude Love at one point had like a tie-dyed leathered gimmick over his two fingers that he would cram down his opponent's throats. But we see a double mandible claw on both Billy Gunn and the Road Dog. And then eventually uh, Triple H comes in and drops to his knee and does an uppercut low blow to mankind, uh, Mick Foley uh, in the groin. We see at ringside eventually Billy Gunn have uh, a fist fight with the steps and is trying to move steps around and he stomps a set of steps out of the way because he's trying to do a spot where he's trying to pick up the bottom section of the steps to drop them on Cactus Jack's body. Savio Vega now is a part of the match at one point and we see him, he's visibly wearing gloves and he starts unrolling that uh, spool of barbed wire. So he's, it's a callback to his hardcore ish gimmick when he was TNT in Puerto Rico. He's wrapping the barbed wire around uh, Mick Foley's face, Cactus Jack's face, his body. At one point, he spools it under in the crotch and yanks it up on the backside. 
So we have uh, lots and lots of barbed wire and Savio protecting himself with the gloves on. Uh, he keeps calling for a chair, and eventually he gets a chair in. We see Triple H swings a chair at Foley's head, and it's more of a glancing blow. But then when Savio grabs a separate chair while Mankind or Cactus Jack's all wrapped up, and he swings for the fences on Foley's head, and I just... It was a disturbing sight to see that particular chair shot. The Savio Vega chair shot on Cactus Jack. This is why we have these concussion protocols. This is why we don't see chair shots anymore or head blows, stiff head blows anymore in WWE with foreign objects. Eventually, uh, Cactus Jack makes a hot tag to Austin, who essentially goes nuts and goes after all four members of the team. And eventually hits a Stone Cold Stunner on the Road Dog for the one, two, three. Post match, uh, immediately Billy Gunn starts brawling with Austin, and Austin hits a Stone Cold Stunner on Billy Gunn. He pushes Triple H, who was standing on the ringside apron, out towards the floor. And Triple H sells that he cracked his head on the table, kind of deal, and just stumbles down to the floor. Austin celebrating in the ring. And then towards the end, we see China finally visibly becoming involved in the match where she gets in the ring and essentially shoves Austin twice. Austin tries to be the bigger guy and just essentially tries to walk out of the ring. And as he steps through the ropes, China grabs him one last time and does a double flirt, uh, double bird uh, to Austin's face, flipping him off. So China turns around and starts jacking, jaw jacking with the referee, but Austin comes in, spins her around, kicks her in the gut, and hits her with a stunner to a huge pop to the crowd. And we have now laid the groundwork of Austin coming off as super strong as we look towards a hopeful WrestleMania match with what the the uh, announcers, JR, claim was a back injury that happened midweek in training for this but in reality, it was a back injury from the casket match that Sean had from with the Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. The quote from Jr. as well: "The greatest WWF champion of all time is Shawn Michaels." It's right. always interesting how the greatest one they have is whoever's still under contract. Um, did you notice that Savio Vega and Chainsaw Charlie were wearing the same outfit? The blue Same jeans shirt. and the red shirt. Yeah, right? Yep. Except for the suspenders. <laughs> Except for the suspenders and the pantyhose. So this, I believe, is a very good main event for an ECW pay-per-view. And I think that is how weird the show is. It feels like a great Clash of the Champions or a Saturday night's main event. Like, it's a good pay-per-view, but it doesn't cross over. There's just something that I was trying to figure out the whole time. And I think what it was is, if the show was free, and I don't want to say raw, because we've made that example before, and it's not a raw, because there's there's a lot of matches here. There's not, like, you know, too much stupidity or interviews or stuff like that. I think it's a really good, like, special show, you know, special event show. Not pay-per-view level you know, more like a clash or Saturday night's main event, something like that. And the main event for just being a brawl and a cluster and a, a stop in between the two of the bigger pay-per-views of the year, I thought was fine. It did everything it was supposed to do other than Savio. Savio, once he's in, does well. It's just he wasn't the answer anyone wanted. He serves the purpose for the role he got thrust in upon. I'm sure 
even he knew like all oh, this is not gonna go over well but I've got to do what I'm yeah. you know asked to do he's you know forced into this he he knew that he had no business being a part of the storyline I'm sure and it was just he's put in the awkward spot of no matter who they plugged in they were gonna get pooped on no matter what by the fans but but you know by anyone it wouldn't have mattered live crowd at home crowd us revi- re, you know revisiting it uh, you know through nostalgia goggles but he served his role and he did what he needed to do to get get the match done it was it was a matter of that we got to get through this night so now we could focus on hopefully wrestlemania yeah there's just kind of looking there's not even like um uh, there's no dark matches. There's no one else you can really plug in to that, to that main event, unfortunately. But like I said, I would have just done an in, in, injury angle with Owen, and it would have cut down on uh, the cluster. Making a six man, right? Yeah, that's just kind of how I would have done. So, um, anything else you want to add to this pay per view? That's it for me. So oh, good. All right, so you know what time it is. Vader time. It's Vader time. Vader time. Yeah, everyone knew that was coming. No, it's time to rank these. Do we have any matches that are going to crack our top five? I don't see one at all from this card. No, uh, Quebecers God wins a close six, but not top five. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, I don't think the Quebecers are going to crack the uh, top five there. So uh, we will say the top five matches stay unchanged. But is that a time to rank where this ranks on the official in your house pay-per-view rankings. Um, all right. So for no way out of Texas, do we think this is bottom middle or top? Uh, for me, I don't think it's going to be at the bottom. I think probably need to start somewhere midway. How lands? Really? What do you think? I, I had it not bottom, bottom, but I had it low. Okay. I had it in, the, in the lower bracket of our stuff. All right. So we'll start at the bottom then. Yeah. Why don't we start at the bottom, work our way up then? Because it, it seemed to have some dissension between the uh, between the groups, you know? I wonder if this is because, uh, you know, Kevin's been DMing with Sequel Quest. Oh, there it is. So a little dissension, a little dissension. Okay. It's okay. All right. So is it better than our bottom of the barrel pay-per-view? Uh, good friends, better enemies. I would think so. I had it above that, yes. Okay. Is it better than Ground Zero? I have it bet much better than that. Yep. I, I had it above that, yes. Okay, is it better than Final Four? I would say so. Did you, Okay, that was where I stopped it. Oh, wow. Wow. To be honest. Wow. I was going through the previous pay-per-views and the matches on there and all, and I was just like, I don't know that I had anything I liked better than I liked Final Four on here. I mean, I know the main event was a disappointment with the the, the substitution, and you could hear the groan from the crowd. Um, yeah, I mean, I I appreciated Vader Kane, I really did for what it was. Certainly, continuing the storyline of someone was finally a pseudo challenge, a threat to Kane, even though Kane pretty much steamrolled right over him. I, I'm shocked that you don't have this higher because of Pantera, Kevin. <laughs> fair point, fair point. No, but like the the main event, you know, overall wasn't that great. I didn't think I appreciated Vader and Kane for what it, what like everything was just fine. You know, it was okay, but I didn't find anything that I liked better than 
that main event for Final Four overall. Okay, so let me let me ask this to the educator, because this is like really the first time we've had. We're all over the board on this on this too, right? Because I could be sold either way. <laughs> I really don't have a strong feeling towards <laughs> right. it. Where where were you going to put it on the list? I was going to put it probably in between twelve and thirteen, probably just beating Old Day in Hell, but below DX. I definitely think it's better than Beware of Dog, without a doubt. See, I think Beware of Dog's too high on the list to begin with. I was thinking it too, honestly. As I was going through them, like, some of these, like, I almost want to, I almost want to revisit, but I don't want to lose, like, 20 hours debating it. Right. (laughs) But because of Beware of Dog's placement, I would be willing to negotiate putting it right around that spot, though. Because as I'm as I'm thinking this, I, I, like, uh, you know, like you said, it's not as good as Final Four, is is kind of like your theory there, Kevin. Um, and as I think about it, I'm like, now that I go through it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're they're pretty much close to the same to me, but it's better than Lumberjacks, in my opinion. Like, absolutely, it, it overall makes me feel like Final Four is too low. I think is what's doing it. Like, cause yeah, it's better than lumberjacks. It's better than beware of dog, but you know, we're, we're stuck there. Those were our opinions at the time, you know, right. we, we got to honor it, but I, uh, based on that, I'd be willing to put it, um, around that mid-level, uh, DX, then cold day in hell, then beware of dog. How about this? How about there. this? How about we put it, how about if it goes to number 16, it goes above lumberjacks, but below buried alive. I mean, I guess I can concede to that. That's fine. Split the difference. I mean, yeah. I mean, Split the dip, yeah. I feel like these bottom of the barrel pay per views for are just kind of you can pick and choose like one or two things that are good about them, and the rest is just either meh or it's yeah. Which one's more awful than the other? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think what happens is when we talk about it, you know, when I'm doing my my rankings, I do it off of watchability, basically. Like, oh, this one's easier to watch, so. I think in that sense, a two-hour pay-per-view is easier to watch than a three-hour based, right. you know, just based on the time. That's so, point. yeah. So why don't we put it? Um, what did I say? <laughs> uh, below buried alive. Yeah. Below buried alive above lumberjacks. All right, this is no way out. You got it. All right, so that's it. Of course, uh, no way out gets slotted in at number sixteen. Uh, just to kind of go over our top five uh, matches, uh, number one with a bullet is Hell in the Cell. Of course, uh, HBK versus Taker. Number two, once again, is HBK versus Kevin Nash at Good Friends, Better Enemies. Uh, number three is Brett versus Bulldog at Season's Beatings. Number four is that Canadian Stampede uh, main event, 10-man. And then number five is the International Incident 6-man uh, match and for the pay-per-views let's just do our top three number one is canadian stampede number two is international incident and number three is triple header i can't believe that's still in the top three crazy Flip that. what you said number three is canadian stampede no, number one is triple header. header i said number three is triple header Did you? all right you're way off kevin Oh, sounded like you said three, two, one. You've been wrong this entire uh, thing. And when you listen to this edit, you will know where I'm talking, what I'm talking about. So, 
<laughs> um, that's all I got for you guys. So, uh, educator of excellence, uh, anything you want to say to the uh, people out there? Hey, thank you guys so much for listening, tuning in on whatever podcast media uh, app you use to find our show. Certainly encourage you to continue to check out the Retro Network and all the various offerings that they have. Uh, thank you to my two co-hosts here. It's a blast to sit back and, and and chew the fat, so to speak, and going over some retro greatness from our nostalgia years, wearing our nostalgia goggles. And uh, I uh, hope that our fans uh, continue to uh, touch base with our social media and offer suggestions or uh, send in questions for us to take a look at, especially for our weekly run-in show. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to take this time, of course, to thank everyone for entering our contest uh, that officially ended, I believe, yesterday or today, one of the days. So when you hear this, uh, you can't enter it anymore. So thank you guys for entering that. Um, so if you're new to the show because of the contest, uh, thanks for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, please um, tell everyone about the show um, as we continue to push along and grow. Uh, we, we really appreciate all the support. Of course, you can follow me online at Maddie Treats, and I'm going to send it over to Calvin Hellions to take us home. All right. We want to thank, uh, well, I want to thank my two co-hosts here. We all want to thank the Retro Network, especially the fine, fine podcasts on the Retro Network, like the main show, like Wizards, like Box Office 30, their new show, Us, of course, and I think that's all the shows on there they really need something for that friday spot you know kevin you know what it is uh, you know i was thinking about this you know who i really like who oh. that um the host of the wizards there adam i like him he's like adam. a nice guy yeah Adam he's a good guy yeah i don't know like that, that yeah, he's pretty cool man. that other show that was calling us out i don't know who that host is but he should be that guy should be more like adam from wizards I, I agree. The host of Sequel Question absolutely take notes from Adam Wizards podcast. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Keep them back and board. Uh, thank you to Richard Reader, Reader for our logo. Shout out to Ads with Wrestling. Also on Thursdays on another soon to be named network. Um, and really, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and take a little break after this show because I've been wrong so often, apparently, according to Matt that uh, I think I just need to uh, recharge and uh, maybe take some notes, learn from uh, the educator and Crone Meltzer here. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.